Hello and welcome to Mashmouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, MASH. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. So Vanessa, as usual, we try to relate an opening topic to the episode or just MASH in general. And this episode is a little tricky because it's so hyper-specific <laughs> to the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's hard to come up with something. But I hear that you have another episode of another TV show and or movie that you can tell me about that has a similar plot to this episode in which a character is believed to be dead, but actually is not. So so uh, regale me with that story now, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you have ever heard of, you probably have, this sitcom um, Grace and Frankie on oh, I have. Netflix. Yeah, so I love that show. It's, it's great. So in... I think it's like kind of an arc too. So in oh, one really? of the seasons, <laughs> so Lily Tomlin, who is such a treasure, I love that woman. She's a she's a little she's a little kooky, you know, in 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 the show. She's great, but she's mm-hmm. she's a little out there. I forget the exact situation, but for some reason, like she went to the post office and said, "Oh, I'm not that person." Like her character, that person is dead. So she like relayed that she was dead to a government worker. So then like in the eyes of the law, she was like technically dead. So she was having like all of these problems, a lot of the same problems that Hawkeye was having, spoilers, I guess, for this episode, but a lot of the same problems Hawkeye was having, her mail stopped, she didn't get her social security checks, like stuff like that. So it was all very funny um and i'm pretty like i said i'm pretty sure it went on for several episodes and she's like well now i'm dead what do i do so it was like a whole thing but yeah so that just this episode reminded me of that i'm going to have to check that out uh not getting your social security checks that's pretty tragic um (laughs) for years like i've known you you've loved grace and frankie and my mom and sister love grace and frankie and the little bit of little bit i've seen of that show i'm like oh this show like looks funny and like weirdly up my alley despite being very outside of my demographic. And perhaps <laughs> now that we've talked about it on Mashmouth, I will uh, finally sit down and enjoy some Grace and Frankie just so I could see this uh, dead man arc. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really great show. I would I would definitely recommend it. So going from one character being declared dead to another, let's get into <laughs> this episode. In this episode... The late Captain Pierce. The U.S. military mistakenly qualifies Hawkeye as dead, which causes a lot of commotion, including Hawkeye's dad to believe he passed on. Vanessa, in the last episode, you said that this was one of your personal favorites. So what are your just general thoughts on this episode? I really liked this episode. I thought that it was... I always like episodes that are interesting um that kind of go outside of the typical like sitcom-y type of episode um are just kind of unique and i feel like this one is very unique to mash uh like this really this storyline could really only plausibly happen on an army base i know i just talked about grace and frankie how it kind of happened but you know realistically Realistically. i feel like yeah i feel like this can kind of only happen 
in this scenario that these characters mm-hmm. find themselves in, in a war in a foreign country. So I I really appreciated that aspect of the episode. And all in all, I just thought the acting was really good. I thought the storyline, like I said, was unique. So I like this episode a lot. I'm going to make a bold proclamation. I think this is my favorite episode of the series so far. I wow. really like this one. Like this is so up my alley for like what I enjoy in like storytelling in general like it's so character focused and i liked how desperate hawkeye was and how like grounded his whole like struggle was while still being funny like i don't want to put myself up on like a pedestal or whatever but like if you asked me like to write my ideal like mash episode mm-hmm. it would be this kind of thing where hawkeye is very like reflective but also kind of still having a good time <laughs> Hmm. That's really interesting. I mean, like I said, I really, really like this episode. And it's definitely I feel probably in my top five ish or so episodes Ooh. that I really love. Um, This one just really stands out to me. And yeah, so so that's really interesting that you like this one so much. There's a there's one coming, I think, much later that I think if you like this one a lot for all the reasons that you said, you will also like that one a lot. Um, it focuses specifically on Hawkeye, um, as many of the episodes do, but Hawkeye is actually the only character featured in the episode. So I think you'll really like that one too. I'm looking forward to that. I just want to say for our listeners who obviously cannot see us, the look of joy you had on your face, <laughs> as I said, this was my favorite episode of the series, just made my entire day. Like, <laughs> I'm glad that you reacted with such positivity. Yeah, that was a live reaction because you said you had a bull proclamation. So I, I, I was I was waiting for it. That, that did fill me with a lot of joy. <laughs> so uh, let's get into the actual first scene of the uh, the episode, which I think starts it off on a very strong foot where it's BJ getting a call from uh, Hawkeye's dad. And everyone in camp is like, huh? Why would <laughs> why would he call BJ? Which, obviously, like, knowing the title of the episode, knowing it's the late Captain uh, Pierce, you're like, okay, obviously some, some wires have been crossed. But I think, like, mm-hmm. this is a very natural, very good comedic setup that's going to obviously get a lot more like dramatic tension as the episode goes on Mm -hmm. um what did you what do you think of like the setup for this and how they kind of played it out with Hawkeye's dad in general I really liked it and I was actually kind of surprised because I thought this kind of came later in the season or the series I'm surprised that it's so early on in season four because Hawkeye's dad calls BJ And if we're kind of going on that like week to week timeline, like each episode is a week, BJ would have only been there for about a month. Or maybe less. Yeah. So he would have been there for like a month at most, probably. And Hawkeye's dad is putting in this call to BJ, which means that Hawkeye wrote home to his dad about BJ. So that means that Mm -hmm. they like have this, they kind of had that instant bond enough that Hawkeye's dad would know, okay, this is his like best friend now at this point. I'm going mm-hmm. to reach out to him as opposed to like say like Colonel Potter or anyone else. Like obviously not Frank. Um so I really It'd be wild if he reached out to oh. Frank. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
I really liked that aspect of it. I liked that um, really subtle character. I don't want to call it building, but almost building where the characters are very much grounded in their relationship with each other, I guess I would mm-hmm. I would call it. Yeah, um, I I like that too, that it was kind of a uh, a subtle thing that like Hawkeye's dad now knows BJ. But like in terms of like sitcom, it also is just kind of uh, like he's the new sidekick. So of course, mm-hmm. this would be the guy who would call. So it like works on both levels where if you're unfamiliar with like trapper existing at all if you're just tuning in you're like okay but if you're if you're watching it like us kind of going through with a fine tooth comb you're like oh there's a little bit more of a relationship building here Mm -hmm. and i i liked how this was handled that he only hears a few words like i think it's like why and when i think was Mm -hmm. the only things bj heard and they don't even know that uh hawkeye was declared dead until like the next day which is just very very funny and a great just way to set up this thing very like subtly and then kind of build it up to becoming this like dramatic force and comedic force throughout the entire episode it's just i feel like it's a a great way to set up the premise yeah, I agree with you. I like that we don't know what the central kind of conflict is until the next scene in the morning when the Undertaker comes. Um, and I, I want to talk about him a little bit because I found his character very interesting. <laughs> I loved him. He was my favorite boy. Um, we can cut this, but uh, did you also code him as just a New York Jew, or was that me? Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> he's very, yes, he's like a Simpsons, like New York Jew, like very, uh, <laughs> very like I gotta do my job. Just so funny. It it was uh, it was very funny, and I know that we say this all the time on the show, but like every. <laughs> Jewish coded character is just aggressively Jewish. The, the sound of his voice was just like, oh, he's a Jewish man. <laughs> the way, I mean, I don't know what we're going to cut out and keep it, but the way that he is like, oh man, if somebody's not dead, I'm going to lose my job. It's just so <laughs> like absurd that he is. Yeah, it's so good. I think the, the Jewish stereotypes of the show are just consistently very funny. <laughs> I agree. I I definitely agree with you. And his character in general was just very funny um, because when BJ and Hawkeye's dad get cut off, Hawkeye is very nervous basically for the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. He sleeps next to the phone just in case uh, his dad gets through again and stuff like that. So then after that, when he's woken up in the morning, he's like, all right, I'm going to go take a shower. That's when you get introduced to this Jewish corner. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I loved when he just kind of moseyed on into the shower when he said, oh, I'm looking for uh, Captain Pierce and Klinger sends him over to the shower. And he's like, huh, that's a weird place to put him. And then he's like looking into the shower stalls while Hawkeye is in the shower. And Hawkeye mm-hmm. is also looking like, what are you looking at? It was it was just a very <laughs> funny thing. Yeah, his whole thing I found just very, very funny how he was just so focused on not getting fired that he was like well hawkeye could you be dead next time i see you and hawkeye's <laughs> like no um and he's like well it doesn't really matter what body as long as i bring them a body and hawkeye's like 
No, that's uh, that's probably not a good idea either, my dude. We uh, we don't really trade in corpses here. That was so crazy because he was saying like, "Oh, I'm gonna be in a lot of trouble if you're not dead." And he's like, oh, we're at a hospital. Can't you just find me a body? And Hawkeye's like, uh, no. Well, we we really try hard not to have bodies on our hands. And, like, it was supposed to be funny. And I did. It was funny. It was, like, a very black comedy type of thing. But I felt like it was also, um, it was also, I don't know if the writers intended for this because there wasn't really a laugh track going on when Hawkeye and this Undertaker were having this exchange about like, oh, hey, find me a body, my guy. And I just felt like the maybe the writers were kind of doing this intentional thing of saying, yeah, this guy is really cold and callous towards the idea of like bringing back people who mm-hmm. were killed in the line of duty and whatnot. And as long as he has a body, it doesn't really matter which one. As long as he's kind of doing his job and, like, fitting the pieces together, it doesn't matter. um, Mm -hmm. Because the war machine's just going to keep moving on regardless of whose body it is type of thing. And that kind of comes back later on in the episode as well, which I thought was a really interesting and good callback to this initial kind of funnier scene so yeah i really liked the this interaction between the two of them and also just imagining hot like imagine being hawkeye having some random ass man barge into your shower and then tell you tell You're him dead. that he's dead yeah <laughs> yeah um i would i would probably question my reality for a second and be like am i in a <laughs> it's a wonderful life right now um but yeah what you're saying with this uh, scene kind of coming back towards the end is another reason why I love this episode so much is that it is kind of a full circle thing where this guy is so callous about like actual dead people in like a funny way. And then when it comes back in the end in like a more serious fashion with a different character, I'm like, ah, this is beautiful. This is this is how you write a, a story. This is how you uh, reflect on themes. You bring up stuff without really nailing it in the ground, and then you bring it up later, and you're like, ha-ha, you didn't see that this would be emotional <laughs> later, which is just very, very fun for me. Yeah, I just, I just really thought the writers just knocked it out of the park with how nuanced they made this storyline. So, uh, again, which is one why it's one of my personal favorites. And I really liked Hawkeye's whole reaction to this you know that he is first of all he is concerned about his dad believing that he is dead like that is at for the forefront of his mind Mm -hmm. but also he kind of uses it to uh to cheese the system a little bit he's like well i'm dead so i don't need to do morning calisthenics i don't need to do this i don't need to do that because (laughs) legally i don't exist (laughs) Wait, can we can we talk about the calisthenics thing? That was yes. so funny. That was a part of the episode that I loved because when Hawkeye finds out he's, uh, I guess, legally dead, um, which is uh, still not the right term, but for the purposes of this, we'll call him legally dead, I guess. Um, he goes to Colonel Potter, like he barges into Colonel Potter's office, and we get this beautiful exchange between Colonel Potter and Frank Burns. And Mm -hmm. I just, I thought that it was, it was very funny and it was actually really good character (laughs) development because Frank is 
basically bitching to Colonel Potter that no one's taking his calisthenics exercises seriously. No one's coming to my yoga class. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, this is why I love Colonel Potter, because... He says, the nurse's push-ups are doing wonders for morale. Ha ha ha. And he just like laughs at his own joke. And it's Uh. the way he does it is so funny. And Frank is like, oh, but I'm being serious. And Colonel Potter just dead on is like, yes, so am I. (laughs) The delivery is just so perfect. I just love Colonel Potter. And last thing I'll say about this too is, I really love this interaction because as funny as it is, it's also telling us something about these two, like the power dynamic kind of things. Like I really do truly feel this would have been an entire plot line of an episode if Henry Mm -hmm. was here and Henry would have just been like, okay, yeah, like make them do calisthenics. Stop bitching at me. And Colonel Potter's like, no, I'm in charge here. I'm not listening to you. You're being ridiculous. And I I just, I loved it. That is so true. I didn't even think about that. I love that. I love that we can see <laughs> the the way that this story would diverge if different characters are, were in place. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy Frank being kind of a dictator about something so meaningless as a, a mild workout with just a group of people, like basically running yoga like I joked about. Just that even that he will like... All the power of it will go to his head. It's like, people aren't showing up. I need people to show up. I need to show them that I am cool. Um, It's so, (laughs) so funny. And so, like, weirdly, like, emasculating for him. Because it's like, well, it's it's nothing. You you care about nothing. You care about literally just a group of people mildly working out. But I do appreciate (laughs) that he also does care about the camp's health. He's like, well... We got to get these boys into shape, which, you know, is is commendable. But if he wasn't such a weird jerk about it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like Frank Burns has some good intentions, but they're just executed really poorly. Just all the time. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) That is true. But speaking about what you said before, I really thought that it was just such a, a great characterization of Hawkeye. Like, this is so how... I would expect him to handle things of just taking full advantage of this really crazy mishap of, like you said, not doing the calisthenics, not showing up to meetings, stuff like that. And it was really funny, I guess, at first, because no matter what situation Hawkeye is going to try to make light of it, like when he was... Mm -hmm. When he was having a telegram sent to his dad because they couldn't get a call out and stuff like that, And he was still, like, kind of making jokes in the telegram, even though it was a very serious situation. Like, hey, dad, by the way, BT dubs, I'm not dead. Uh, Please stop mourning me and don't give away my stuff. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Which is fair. That's what I would say to my parents if they thought I was dead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, And then I also loved how BJ was like, yeah, we need to have, like, a funeral or a wake or something for you as, like, celebration. Just basically an excuse to to drink and party and kind of blow off steam. And Hawkeye's like, yeah, sure. I'm all Mm -hmm. for it. So it's it's really fun there for about uh, a a minute. (laughs) And I... I want to talk about the funeral scene a little bit because I, I, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, um, I liked BJ a lot in this episode that you could see him slowly but like surely getting more into the kind of inner circle, more into the groove 
of being in the 4077. Like, he more openly makes fun of people in this one, which Mm -hmm. I thought was delightful. And him kind of, you know, wanting to blow off work was was very funny. And this, this funeral that they hold is so just classic mash like this is a classic mash party right here where it is just utterly pointless and everyone there like knows that this is stupid but also it's just an excuse not to worry for a few minutes yeah and it gave me very much like book mash movie mash last supper vibes you know (laughs) it wasn't exactly you know like an extended type of thing but it it gave me the vibe you know (laughs) I like that they say, like, come on, this is a funeral. You should have a good time. And, like, uh, <laughs> you know, Hawkeye being concerned, like, oh, what do you wear to awake? It's just all very good kind of dark comedy death jokes that, mm-hmm. like, you know, you don't, you don't typically get to see. And I, yeah. I just really liked the whole lighthearted nature of this section of the episode because things do get a little more serious. I also really liked Colonel Potter here, too. The fact that Colonel Potter attended this kind of silly little thing uh like awake for somebody who's not dead you know um i liked that he was kind of also inserting himself as as part of part of the group you know and they they accepted him as well like oh yeah of course Mm -hmm. colonel potter's coming that kind of thing and at the very tail end of this wake funeral scene where they're all having a good time Clinger comes back and says oh well we can't get any telegrams out after that telegram that he tried to send to hawkeye's dad and he says it's because General Eisenhower is coming over. And this actually happened. I, I had mentioned it. Um, I had mentioned it in trivia in an episode in the latter part of season three, I believe, because General Eisenhower did eventually go over to Korea. And it was like a big thing um, mm-hmm. in the winter, I believe, of 1951, if I remember correctly. So I thought that it was like really cool continuity that, you know, it was wintertime when they were supposed to be filming this or when this episode was supposed to take place and then Eisenhower was coming. So I I, I liked the um, like the historical aspect of this, too. I thought it really worked for this episode and like worked as a roadblock for why they might not be able to get communications out for security purposes. I I don't know. Just that like little touch really elevated this episode for me. It elevates any episode that it's in, but... Specifically this one. I I just really liked it. We love real world historical context bleeding into this fictional world. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that is really cool. I like that they made the roadblock something kind of real and tangible and not just like, mm-hmm. oh, we can't get through the the computers acting up or, you know, the whatever you call them, the, the switchboard. It's acting up. We can't get through. <laughs> uh, it's a more like real thing that, you know, hypothetically, if this happened to a real person, uh, mm-hmm. they would like actually have to deal with. And it, it just makes it a lot more uh, cohesive for me of like, oh, okay. This is like a very well thought out plot. I like when they place these stories within like real people and everything, you know? Yeah, I think that that's exactly what I meant when I said like why I like this episode. So we are definitely, Mm -hmm. we are also on the same page here. (laughs) I think so, yes. So right after this fun little funeral scene, like, like we said, Stuff starts to go south for Hawkeye. The the days of him, you know, enjoying being technically dead are over. 
And I really liked this progression too because it was so like natural from having a good time, like kind of wacky vibes to the like, oh yeah, being dead from a legal perspective would affect various things that like I would rely on. Like it, it starts out like slowly where he doesn't get his mail and like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a big deal. But then Frank Burns ever being the, the man of policy that he is like refuses to give Hawkeye his pay because according to the paperwork, Hawkeye no longer exists, which I got to give uh, Frank credit for this if it was reversed, absolutely Hawkeye would do. A- absolutely <laughs> Hawkeye would would deny Frank his pay if he was declared dead. I actually didn't even think of that. That's a really good point because Hawkeye would 100% do that to mess with Frank Burns. Like, I-, I mean, how could you not? Honestly, it's the perfect it's the perfect scenario. But I was so confused here for a second because I thought that Frank was like, hey, no can do, buddy. I can't give you this money because it's not here to give you. But I realized that when Frank had money in his hand and Hawkeye and Frank started to physically fight, that the money was there, but it was just Mm -hmm. probably like noted, oh, yeah, like send this back to wherever because this person's dead. I didn't realize that. I was like, well, why is Hawkeye getting mad? He can't really do anything. But I realized it's just Frank Burns being Frank Burns. And can we please talk about this physical fight that Hawkeye and Frank get into? Because it was amazing. (laughs) This was insane. Okay, this was crazy. We should note that this episode is directed by Alan Alda. And uh, he (laughs) really pulls out the stops and like makes it look kind of insane for a 70s sitcom to do like (laughs) handheld camera work while, while like a fight's going on. Like that's crazy to see. Everything about this was perfect. Now, do I condone violence? No. (laughs) But (laughs) this, I feel, was necessary. And I loved, I actually really loved the, like, rising attention in this, too. Mm -hmm. Because, like we said, Hawkeye couldn't get the word out to his father that he was alive. He couldn't get his mail. This was kind of the last straw. He couldn't get his pay. And so it made sense, narratively, why he would fight Frank Burns mm-hmm. at this point. Especially just being so petty. Yes, exactly. He was just, he knew that this was an issue. And of course, he was being like so red tape about it and bureaucratic about it. But when Hawkeye shoved carrots down Frank's shirt and shoved mashed potatoes <laughs> in his face, I was like, how could I, how can I this ask for anything more? <laughs> This is everything that you want from from a Frank Burns Hawkeye brawl. Like <laughs> nobody's actually getting hurt. Like not not really. And Frank what? just freaking out about it. And again, so well shot. Um, I should say that like me and my mom have been watching a little bit of uh, All in the Family like recently. And let me tell oh my you, God, dude, what's so funny is like same. Me me and my mom oh, have been yeah. watching All in the Family. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a great, like, that's a good show. Like, I think it's very funny and, like, holds up in a weird way. But, like, just mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the filmmaking, MASH, which was on at a similar time, absolutely blows all in the family out of the water. Like, yeah, yeah, MASH yeah. is so, like, well-constructed and so above its pay grade for the, the time that it aired in. And just, again, seeing, like, actual handheld shaky cam cinematography in... 1975 in a half hour sitcom that's insane 
And I love back to the the actual like narrative. I love that when they break up the fight, Frank is just <laughs> screaming to punch Hawkeye in the face just over and over again. So I guess the guy holding them back is if he's you know gonna do him a solid. I don't know. <laughs> Specifically, he said he was screaming over and over, punch him in the throat punch him in the throat and it's just like frank no one's restraining you you can do it i just i love it top 10 scenes in mash in general so so good i loved this this was like a real peak but i don't think it was the best scene in the episode because uh the best scene in the episode comes a little later with uh hawkeye really feeling the low point of everything and we'll get into that in a second but i i love the build that this is like a massive climax and then hawkeye is just like really bummed out after this i think it really Mm -hmm. makes sense it does so we should we should uh we should get into the latter portion of the episode uh because like you said it was probably the best portion of the episode I wanted to note that after Hawkeye fights Frank in the mess tent, he goes into Colonel Potter's office and the guy, (laughs) I guess from like internal affairs, Captain Pratt, who was in the episode Payday, another one of my favorite episodes, (laughs) (laughs) comes back and is like, LOL, we'd make this mistake all the time. You're not dead, but we can't really do anything else about it right now. And that's literally it. (laughs) I love this dry, dry man. I love seeing him because, again, with, like, different characters kind of going in and out of the show, this kind of is a new, like, repiloted version of the show. But it was nice to see a guy from, like, the previous uh, cast like show up and give us that continuity for this new mm-hmm. new season and I I love this man so much I love this like very just standard bureaucracy like this is what the paperwork says kind of guy like I find that kind of satire very funny and mm-hmm. going back to what we said earlier with it kind of becoming very sad when Hawkeye finds out like the paperwork was swapped with like a real dead person. He's like, hey, are they going to notify the families of the people who actually died here? And this guy just kind of gleefully is like, oh yeah, we'll work that out. It's just such like great government, like bureaucracy, (laughs) like kind of dehumanization of people, like becoming cogs in the system. Just great delivery by this actor. I I really liked this whole scene and kind of like what it accomplished. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of my favorite portions of this was the guy kind of chuckled and Hawkeye made fun of him chuckling at this Mm -hmm. very like serious situation. And I thought that that was a really, I mean, Alan Alda directed this, so he kind of directed himself to do it, I guess. But like it was a... (laughs) It was a good choice because it was kind of funny to see him do that, but also like there was no laugh track. It was not played Mm -hmm. as like really funny or anything like that. So I liked that. And more on Hawkeye's character in general, I thought it was really interesting to see him kind of get righteously angry um, because usually he is this 
carefree, laid back, jokester type of guy like we saw in the top of the episode where he was, you know, making jokes about, you know, him being declared dead and stuff like that. And I also thought it was interesting. This is a little bit off of this scene, but I thought that it was interesting to see Hawkeye get really like righteously angry about something that's affecting him. I feel like we've seen Hawkeye get mad at things before and get angry at certain injustices and bureaucracy and stuff like that. But largely when it affects other people and affects Mm -hmm. like his job type of things and like what he's able to do to like save lives, it hasn't up until this point, as far as I can remember, really like impacted him personally. Like we've seen him in scenes where he's upset and angry about like a personal thing. Like of course when Henry died and then in sometimes you hear the bullet and whatnot. But he's never been truly, like, angry for himself or, like, almost feeling sorry for himself type of thing. Um, And we get that here. And I think that that kind of, when that culminates into this final scene that we'll discuss, I just feel like it's such an interesting buildup from even the first season to to now. So I I, I loved it. I didn't even think about that because... Hawkeye is such like a selfless character. Like he is kind of the uh, the like stable glue that everyone else's mm-hmm. like emotions kind of revolve around. Like uh, in previous seasons, there would be stories of Trapper getting really upset or mm-hmm. Henry getting really upset and kind of needing to talk to Hawkeye about it because Hawkeye just generally is outside of himself with these kind of things, even though he is very goofy and kind of out there like when it's serious mode he is very concerned about like other people and how other people are feeling that's something that i haven't even like really noticed like fully consciously until you brought that up um but it is i think what like really kicks it into gear for him to be like this is ridiculous is our friend this uh bureaucracy (laughs) man captain pratt i'm sorry or whatever whatever rank he is pratt um saying that like oh we'll notify the families ha 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 like kind of be like oh yeah this is a goofy thing that happened and we'll we'll take care of it we'll figure it out i think that was like the okay so i'm being like i i have all this trouble going on and some poor family doesn't know that their their son is dead like Mm -hmm. i think that's the combination that really took it into the uh low that he goes into with kind of yeah. wanting to leave Korea entirely and be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this whole thing. Goodbye. And that's what he almost does, too. He decides, um, he kind of storms out of Colonel Potter's office and is like, all right, screw this. And he gets on the, I guess, like cadaver bus where they mm-hmm. transport uh, people who have died. And... BJ comes after him and is like, hey, are you really going to do this? He's like, well, I'm dead. Who cares? Mm -hmm. And I thought that this conversation that Hawkeye and BJ had on the bus was so good and so powerful and said so much about Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, Kind of like I was saying before of, you know, all of this is kind of culminating and you can almost see it stretching back from the previous seasons as well because he says it too. 
Um, like, it doesn't matter if I'm here or not. I, I'm, I'm done with this because these casualties are going to keep coming. Henry died and they keep coming. Trapper went home and they keep coming. And all of this weight is kind of just, it's finally kind of getting to him, I feel, yeah. in, in a very real way. And he and he says it so, so much because, like like I said, we don't see that in the previous seasons. It's never been really about what Hawkeye feels and it finally came out here. And I think that that mm-hmm. says a lot about Hawkeye. And I think that that says a lot about BJ as well, about who BJ is to Hawkeye, that he is that like, he is fundamentally different than Trapper because Hawkeye is able to have this conversation with BJ rather than needing to have that conversation for Trapper, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand you. This is what really... um set the episode like over the top for me of being perhaps my favorite episode of the series that it's so character focused and the conversation feels so natural to this point in the show and the way this isn't this entire episode sort of builds to this I just thought was so well done like on a narrative structure level like they really do earn this conversation and I feel like a lot of shows when they try to have this like what is my place in this world? Like, what is my place in this show kind of thing? It can, it's not always earned like this, but this, this just does it so well. And like you said, with, with him bringing up Henry dying and Trapper leaving, it's like, great. Like, I love that the new status quo is these new guys who we do like, like, I, I like these characters and I just Mm -hmm. was introduced to them, but it's not forgotten by Hawkeye that mm-hmm. he has lost his friends and he is still here. And even though that like the show will continue and will be a fun, goofy time, this is something that maybe is always, always, always in the back of Hawkeye's mind to some degree that like his friends are gone and he's still here. And I love how it's not something that like, it's directly said to him that like makes him change his mind. It's just the bus starts leaving. Uh, BJ gets off a little beforehand and it goes, you know, some distance and then the bus stops and Hawkeye gets off. Like you don't need to have that like a moment of real revelation. You don't need to have that like aha moment. You just know that like somewhere inside of him, Hawkeye knows that it's the right thing to do to stay here even if he doesn't want to be here. Yeah, and I think that what we always say kind of wins out in the end too, where Hawkeye is fundamentally a good person and a good Mm -hmm. doctor. It's true. And it's established that there's incoming wounded and it's going to be heavy at the same time that Hawkeye is like, screw this, I'm done. And that I feel counts for so much too of him knowing that they're going to get slammed with wounded that he is needed there. It was just so Mm -hmm. well done that he couldn't, no matter what he was feeling for himself, he knew that other people needed him. So he was going to come back and, and be there and do what he had to do. And I think that that just says everything you need to know about this character. This episode specifically tells you everything you need to know about Hawkeye. Yeah, that I think is why I like it so much is that it's kind of, I don't want to say our first 
Hawkeye episode because he is the main character. But like you were talking about, usually things happen around Hawkeye. But like mm-hmm. this is the one where you really get like in depth with him. You get in depth with like his relationship with his dad and like how much he is so scared of his father like mourning him. I thought was so like actually emotionally powerful. Um, even though it is just kind of a background element. And then this this breakdown and how he kind of has to steal himself and just pick himself up and move on because it's the right thing to do is just so good. And I thought just everything about it was so well handled. Alan Alda, incredible performance, great direction. And it, it made me really excited to, to see more of the show and like go forward with uh, this large section of the show that I haven't seen because it, it was a great reminder of like, okay, there is still great stuff ahead, not just good stuff. Like the, the best parts of the show are still to come. Yeah, I'm excited for you to see where the rest of this goes. I, I really am. And I I do think that this is kind of our first introduction of the scaling back of you know, really like in your face, uh, crude Hawkeye and getting a more of like the nuanced whole perspective character oh, Hawkeye that. that we're gonna we're gonna get later on. So be prepared. <laughs> I'm excited. I love Hawkeye. I love how complicated he is. That he is kind of like a sleaze bag depending on the day. But also <laughs> he is he's just a noble like guy. He's he knows yeah. like where like what the right thing is and knows like where the line is most of the time. It's just, it's great. I love him. Agree. Completely agree. I want to talk about this final scene as well because it, it was just really, really sweet. The The last scene of the episode was Hawkeye finally getting in touch with his dad and uh, being on the phone with his dad. And it, he, he said that his dad was crying and it, it was just a really mm-hmm. like sweet, wholesome part of the episode and I really liked the choice here because you, you don't ever see who's on the other end of the phone typically. Yeah. And it would have been really easy for the writers to have written in like a split screen or a, a back and forth type of thing with Hawkeye and his dad. But they didn't do that. And I feel like that was very, very intentional because um, we're telling the story of the people who are here, not the people that they have back home. Mm-hmm. And... We have, we only know them from the third person perspective that the characters discuss amongst themselves. Like that's how BJ would know Hawkeye's dad. That's how we know Frank's wife and et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like that is a very intentional, if not, you know, obvious thing that the writers did that we are only going to see like Hawkeye side of the conversation mm-hmm. because that's that's the story that we're telling. So I just really enjoyed that. I thought it was a sweet scene. I thought it was like well done. I, I liked the whole thing. Yeah, I I really like that Hawkeye's dad and most people who are outside of the 4077 kind of remain a mystery to us. Like we don't really mm-hmm. know what any of them look like. We don't really know what their personalities are. We saw a little bit of like Henry's wife and Frank's wife in like home video footage, but that's it. And it's it's just a great kind of like world that they they built, you know, that we're entirely on the 4077 and we get to imagine what even 
Hawkeye's dad sounds like. And I like the uh, how you said that he was crying on the phone. That is kind of built up to throughout the episode with with uh, Hawkeye not disparagingly, just kind of matter-of-factly saying that like his father is very non-emotive. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. even talk to uh, his wife much. He's just a man of few words. And I I love that it you know it's kind of not subtle at all. But him like crying is just so like oh yeah he's a he's a complex like normal human being who would have like a a normal reaction to finding out his son's alive he would cry which <laughs> is just great I I loved it and uh, one thing that I do want to point out before we kind of move on from main discussion is that this is the first episode I think to to really nail down the crab apple cove of it all. Okay, I want to say something about this because Hawkeye says to Klinger in that initial scene where uh, they get, (laughs) Hawkeye's dad calls BJ and then they lose the line or whatever. He's like, have you ever heard of Crapapple Cove, Maine? And Klinger is like, oh, I, I, whatever. No, I guess. And Hawkeye says, oh, we have a summer home there. I'm like, a summer home. <laughs> he specifically said a summer home. So I'm like, where, where is this man supposed to be from in TV show universe? We know from the book that he is from Crabapple Cove, Maine. It's yeah. stated very specifically. But <laughs> he specifically said summer home. So I'm so, st- I'm still so confused. Where is he supposed to be from? <laughs> I think this is a slow retcon where they're trying to introduce Crabapple Cove, but without necessarily contradicting the fact that I think in like season one, season two, he said he's from Vermont and they're trying to like step around that a little bit by having like, no, Crabapple Cove exists and it's a part of his life and (laughs) season seven, he'll just straight up be from there. But like from (laughs) for now, we have to like, baby step our way back into the proper uh, origin story for Hawkeye. (laughs) I truly thought before he said summer home or summer cabin, whatever he said, I thought that I was going to hear like my theory was like, oh, maybe he grew up in Crabapple Cove, but then uh, he like went as an adult, he moved to Vermont or whatever, you know, Maine, Vermont. They're, They're close to each other. They're close enough. And then he said summer cabin. I was like, what? hell like what is going on here so like that (laughs) that was just part of the episode where i was just going bonkers i was literally (laughs) losing my mind because it was like summer home anyway anyway so i'm just glad they introduced it i was like hey that's a thing i know um it made (laughs) me very happy Before we fully move on from this section too i just want to note for preservation's sake I think that this episode actually becomes more impactful when we learn some more stuff later on about Hawkeye's family, um, which we won't get until much later on, which actually will probably be kind of like a continuity error, but, you know, will give the writers and the showrunners and whatnot uh, a little bit of grace there. But (laughs) I will bring it up to you when we get to that episode. You will know what it is. Um, when we get there. So I think that we should revisit this episode also <laughs> okay. in a few years. I'm going to, to make a guess and say that the thing you're talking about is that they state that Hawkeye has like a sister 
And later on, he does not have a sister. You are on track. You are for okay, sure okay. on track. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. I love these these long form mysteries that we have set up for the show. <laughs> like your favorite Henry line of all time was mentioned episode one, and then we didn't get to it until season three. I love these uh, just tracks of story that we're going to have to keep track of. <laughs> Yeah, the longest one being uh, the nuance of Margaret's character. We've still got like six more seasons for that one. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Don't worry about it. We will get there. Okay, so moving on. Did you have any favorite lines from this episode? I did. I had a few. Surprisingly, this wasn't like a line heavy episode, but there were a few that like jumped out to me. Um, one that I have to shout out that I thought was very like simple and funny and very uh, smooth of Hawkeye is that he's flirting with a random nurse and he's trying to like get her to like be like, oh, go on a date with me. And then he just throws out like, uh, come on, dead men tell no tales, you know. I'm like, ah, <laughs> that is, that, he's a smooth operator right there. That's a good line. <laughs> that was a good one. My favorite, oh my goodness. I actually rewound this and watched it like three more times after <laughs> the initial one. Um, so when Frank is bitching to Colonel Potter that nobody does their their yoga. I think um, I know what you're going to bring up. <laughs> Frank says, Pierce hasn't exercised once. Hasn't done so much as a squat... <laughs> hasn't done so much as a squat thrust and Hawkeye just very indignantly says I'm saving myself for marriage (laughs) which is fantastic because he is not we know that he is not saving (laughs) himself for marriage (laughs) but but the indignation in his tone where this there's this like very serious thing going on like you know he just found out that he was supposedly dead Mm -hmm. and his dad thinks he's dead he's like i'm saving myself for marriage like he will always get a dig in on frank burns anywhere possible that was a clinger level indignation right there where he was like yes how dare you sir um and clinger has a few good indignations in this episode that i did not write down but this is just a great episode for Yelling at Frank, basically. (laughs) Agree. So, Vanessa, do you have any trivia for us in this episode? I do. So, um, I wanted to start off on a topic that's a little bit sadder than we usually do, um, but it ties in with the episode very well. So, I wanted to Mm -hmm. talk about um, the military notifying families of service members' death and how that process works. Okay. Okay. So a little bit of history. Before the Vietnam War, family members would be notified by telegram that their loved one had passed away in service of their country. So Hawkeye's dad would have been notified by telegram in this episode. But during or possibly after the Vietnam War, the process changed and an in-person representative from the military or the service members branch of the military comes to the next of kin's home and informs the family member that their loved one has passed away. Um, This is an in-person thing. A specially designated member will come to the family's home dressed in uniform, dressed in their, like, class A real uniform. Um, Between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., that is what one article that I read said. Others said different. Um, but there, there was like a little discrepancy. The delivering service member will ask to come in and sit with the family before breaking the news that their loved one has passed. Um, I read an article with an account of 
service members who have this task of delivering this news, most family members tend to know what that service member is there for before the news is broken to them. But it's kind of their task specifically with making sure the family member is comfortable and sitting down and in a safe place before they break the news to them that Mm -hmm. this unfortunate thing has happened. Sometimes the service member that is tasked with delivering the news to the family will have also known the service member who passed. So the delivering officer is also grieving at that time. And I can't help but think that maybe that is helpful in the process for the family of having somebody delivering the news who is also upset about their family member's passing. Mm -hmm. And then after the family is notified, a casualty assistance officer helps the family make funeral and other arrangements for their fallen loved one. Obviously, it's a difficult task, but I'm glad that that is kind of set up to handle that. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that, you know, the we always talk about it on MASH. The writers intended for people to remember that this isn't just a show about the Korean War. There are real people that are attached to this event in history. So I, I really like to remember, especially the people who gave the most, um, in that time. So I, I I know that I definitely like researching this and learning about it. I know that you appreciate it. And I hope that all of our listeners also learn something and appreciate that kind of military history aspect of it as well. I think our listeners do appreciate that, or at least I hope they do. <laughs> I hope so too. So moving on from that topic to something a little bit more light and fun, Um, I have trivia about Richard Mazur, who played Digger in this episode. Yes, my favorite man. (laughs) So Richard Mazur, uh, who I hope I'm saying his last name right as Mazur, um, was born in 1948 in New York City to Jewish parents. Mazur studied acting at the Yale School of Drama and began his acting career in theater before transitioning to film and TV. Mazur is classified as a character actor, so he's one of those people who pops up everywhere, and he's definitely been in something that everybody has seen. I love character actors. They're my favorite kind of actor. (laughs) Affectionately, I refer to them as that guys. I think other people do as well, but I I love anybody who pops up somewhere, and you're like, ah, I know him from somewhere, but I cannot place his face. I always think of character actors and actors like Richard Mazur as the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like pointing at the TV like, (laughs) I know that guy. I know that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So Mazur has appeared in over 80 films and has had countless guest spots on popular TV shows. For movies he's been in and the band played on, which is an absolute favorite of mine, Encino Man, Six Degrees of Separation, My Girl, and Risky Business. Oh, that's a good filmography. Yes, it is. Mazur guested on popular TV shows in the 70s and 80s, including The Mary Tyler Moore Show, All in the Family, Cagney and Lacey, Murphy Brown, and Matlock. One of Mazur's best-known roles is his character in Rhoda, which is a spin-off from The Mary Tyler Moore Show and a recurring character on the soap opera All My Children. And he's also known for a short-lived sitcom called Hot Eye Baltimore, in which he played one of the main characters. And I looked this show up because I had never heard of it before. It's actually a groundbreaking Norman Lear show and was one of Lear's first flops, quote unquote. So yeah, so I was like, ooh, I I would love to watch that. (laughs) Norman Lear, absolute TV legend. That's probably an interesting failure. Dude, when I when I looked this show up, you will not believe. I'll I'll tell I'll tell you about it later, but man, you will not believe this show. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'm interested. 
Later works of Mazur's include Law and Order, Law and Order SVU, another favorite of mine. Beautiful. Blue Bloods, The Good Wife, Transparent, and Orange is the New Black. Another interesting tidbit about Mazur, which is quite relevant at the moment, um, from 1995 to 1999, Mazur served two terms as president of the Screen Actors Guild. And I know we had talked about this a little bit with Mike Farrell and him being president of the Screen Actors Guild as well in California, but at the time of this recording, SAG-AFTRA and WGA are still striking, and we hope that that deal comes soon so that everybody gets a fair deal and everybody gets paid. Yay! Yes, yes, absolutely. Mazur is still alive and working today. His last acting credit was in 2023, so this year, for the show The Equalizer. Oh, wow. That's a that's a current show that I think that has Queen Latifah on it. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the man, just absolute living legend. Dude, dude's everywhere. That's really cool to hear. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I had no idea that he had been in so many things, um, Mash included. Uh, so it it was it was fun to research his career. How many people get to say that they're on Matlock and Orange Is the New Black? Probably <laughs> fewer. Not than you many think. people. Not many. <laughs> I also have some trivia on the writers for this episode, Ethan. So Glenn and Les Charles are a writing duo and also brothers from Henderson, Nevada, best known for being the head writers and producers on the sitcom Taxi and being the creators and head producers of Cheers. Wait, really? Oh my God, I knew I recognized the names. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some background. Both brothers attended University of Redlands in California. Glenn Charles started his career in advertising, but both brothers moved into careers writing for TV, and their first writing credit was actually for MASH this episode. Woo! Oh, that's awesome. The brothers also wrote for The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Phyllis, and The Bob Newhart Show before coming together with director James Burroughs to create the Charles Burroughs Charles production company and creating Cheers. Of course this episode was so good. It was written by the creators (laughs) of Cheers. Yeah. So in 1983, the brothers won an Emmy for writing in a comedic series and a Writers Guild of America Award for television in the episodic comedy category for the writing of the first episode of Cheers, Give Me a Ring Sometime, which we actually talked about at some point and never released the episode. (laughs) No, we have not. I think we uh, recorded that as fabled Patreon bonus content, (laughs) and maybe it will be released one day, perhaps, if people want it. Let us know if you want it. If you want us rambling about Cheers and me just gushing about Sam and Diane for like half an hour, just tell us. Mm -hmm. Both brothers were credited for the creation of Fraser Crane's character in every episode of the spinoff to Cheers, Fraser, which again, we talked about at some point. (laughs) Again, if you want to hear us talk about Frasier, let us know, because we have a backlog <laughs> of Frasier episodes as well. I'm a bit psychic. Anyway, the brothers wrote the screenplay for the 1999 film Pushing Tin, starring John Cusack, Billy Bob Thornton, Kate Blanchett, and Angelina Jolie, so very big names. And as far as I can tell, both brothers are still alive today and kind of retired from writing after Cheers and Pushing Tin, because they don't have any other writing credits, so... They got their coin from really popular sitcoms, and then they noped out. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's what I would do if I created Cheers. I'd be like, all right, (laughs) I did it. All I need to do. Yep. Okay, Ethan. So I think I probably know this already, but what was your martini rating for this episode? I mean, I said this is my favorite episode of the show so far, and I do believe that. 
so obviously five out of five. But I do want to caveat that with saying it is kind of weird that my favorite episode of the show so far is an episode without Radar and mostly without Margaret. I think she appears in one scene. I might be no, wrong. No, she actually doesn't. She's she not doesn't. in it at all. So I, I do feel bad for giving this a five out of five because like we've we've talked about in the past that like we like episodes that utilize the entire cast. But I don't know. Getting rid of Radar and Margaret for this episode, I think like works as a central Hawkeye narrative. And I, I just greatly enjoyed that. Five out of five. Agree with you. I would have maybe liked to see all the cast utilized, but I don't I don't know if it necessarily needed to be that way. Like it might have mm-hmm. felt a little maybe a little messy if we had introduced any more characters because it was so Hawkeye focused. So a hundred percent five out of five for me. Love yeah, this episode. Boy, let's go. And even radar being absent, I think works for the plot because I feel like radar kind of knows his way around a switchboard you know what i mean like he knows who who to talk to and him being absent really added to the uh like well we can't really get anything out and radar i think would be able to to finagle some things radar would have been able to work his magic so you're 100 percent right that that was actually kind of a smart thing for the writers to do i'm sure it was a scheduling conflict with gary berghoff but I do like how the more like inexperienced Klinger was like, hey, listen, I, I tried. There's nothing I can do when Radar could have, like like I said, worked his little Radar magic and probably gotten it through. <laughs> and like, so, yo, Sparky. Right. <laughs> so just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob for about covering our technical consultant, Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for awesome cover art, and, of course, our listeners. Links to our music, social media, and contact for the show are in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 4, Episode 6, Hey Doc. But until then, stuff carried down your coworker's shirt. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. Oh, the bread. It's coming back up. <laughs> <laughs>